Section 52 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 52 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. Book the Fourth, Chapter 2 the golden dustman rises a little mr and mrs lamley had come to breakfast with mr and mrs boffin they were not absolutely uninvited but had pressed themselves with so much urgency on the golden couple that evasion of the honour and pleasure of their company would have been difficult if desired they were in a charming state of mind were mr and mrs lamley and almost as fond of mr and mrs boffin as of one another my dear mrs boffin said mrs lamley it imparts new life to me to see my alfred in confidential communication with mr boffin the two were formed to become intimate so much simplicity combined with so much force of character such natural sagacity united with such amiability and gentleness these are the distinguishing characteristics of both this being said aloud gave mr lamley an opportunity as he came with mr boffin from the window to the breakfast-table of taking up his dear and honoured wife my sophronia said that gentleman your too partial estimate of your husband's character no not too partial alfred urged the lady tenderly moved never say that my child your favourable opinion then of your husband you don't object to that phrase darling how can i alfred your favourable opinion then my precious does less than justice to mr boffin and more than justice to me to the first charge alfred i plead guilty but to the second oh no no less than justice to mr boffin sophronia said mr lamley soaring into a tone of moral grandeur because it represents mr boffin as on my lower level more than justice to me sophronia because it represents me as on mr boffin's higher level mr boffin bears and forbears far more than i could far more than you could for yourself alfred my love that is not the question not the question lawyer said mrs lamley archly no dear sophronia from my lower level i regard mr boffin as too generous as possessed of too much clemency as being too good to persons who are unworthy of him and ungrateful to him to those noble qualities i can lay no claim on the contrary they rouse my indignation when i see them in action alfred they rouse my indignation my dear against the unworthy persons and give me a combative desire to stand between mr boffin and all such persons why because in my lower nature i am more worldly and less delicate not being so magnanimous as mr boffin i feel his injuries more than he does himself and i feel more capable of opposing his injurers it struck mrs lamley that it appeared rather difficult this morning to bring mr and mrs boffin into agreeable conversation there had been several lures thrown out and neither of them had uttered a word here were she mrs lamley and her husband discoursing at once affectingly and effectively but discoursing alone assuming that the dear old creatures were impressed by what they heard 
Still one would like to be sure of it, the more so as at least one of the dear old creatures was somewhat pointedly referred to. If the dear old creatures were too bashful or too dull to assume their required places in the discussion, why then it would seem desirable that the dear old creatures should be taken by their heads and shoulders and brought into it. But is not my husband saying, in effect, asked Mrs. Lamley, therefore, with an innocent air of Mr. and Mrs. Boffin, that he becomes unmindful of his own temporary misfortunes and his admiration of another whom he is burning to serve? And is not that making an admission that his nature is a generous one? I am wretched in argument, but surely this is so, dear Mr. and Mrs. Boffin. Still, neither Mr. and Mrs. Boffin said a word. He sat with his eyes on his plate, eating his muffins and ham, and she sat shyly looking at the teapot. Mrs. Lamley's innocent appeal was merely thrown into the air to mingle with the steam of the urn. Glancing towards Mr. and Mrs. Boffin, she very slightly raised her eyebrows as though inquiring of her husband, "'Do I notice anything wrong here?' Mr. Lamley, who had found his chest effective on a variety of occasions, maneuvered his capacious shirt-front into the largest demonstration possible, and then, smiling, retorted on his wife thus, "'Sophronia, darling, Mr. and Mrs. Boffin will remind you of the old adage that self-praise is no recommendation.' "'Self-praise, Alfred? Do you mean because we are one and the same?' no my dear child i mean that you cannot fail to remember if you reflect for a single moment that what you are pleased to compliment me upon feeling in the case of mr boffin you have yourself confided to me as your own feeling in the case of mrs boffin i shall be beaten by this lawyer mrs lamley gaily whispered to mrs boffin i am afraid i must admit it if he presses me for it's damagingly true Several white dints began to come and go about Mr. Lamley's nose, as he observed that Mrs. Boffin merely looked up from the teapot for a moment with an embarrassed smile, which was no smile, and then looked down again. "'Do you admit the charge, Sophronia?' inquired Alfred, in a rallying tone. "'Really, I think,' said Mrs. Lamley, still gaily, "'I must throw myself on the protection of the court. Am I bound to answer that question, my lord?' to Mr. Boffin." "'You needn't if you don't like, ma'am,' was his answer. "'It's not of the least consequence.' Both husband and wife glanced at him very doubtfully. His manner was grave, but not coarse, and derived some dignity from a certain repressed dislike of the tone of the conversation. Again Mrs. Lamley raised her eyebrows for instruction from her husband. He replied in a slight nod, "'Try him again.' To protect myself against the suspicion of covert self-laudation, my dear Mrs. Boffin, said the airy Mrs. Lamley, therefore, I must tell you how it was. No, pray don't, Mr. Boffin interposed. Mrs. Lamley turned to him laughingly. The court objects? Ma'am, said Mr. Boffin, the court, if I am the court, does object. The court objects for two reasons. First, because the court don't think it fair. Secondly, because the dear old lady— Mrs. Court, if I am Mr., gets distressed by it. A very remarkable wavering between two bearings, between her propitiatory bearing there and her defiant bearing at Mr. Twemlow's, was observable on the part of Mrs. Lamley, as she said, What does the court not consider fair? Letting you go on, replied Mr. Boffin, nodding his head soothingly, as who should say, We won't be harder on you than we can help. We'll make the best of it. 
it's not above board and it's not fair when the old lady is uncomfortable there's sure to be good reason for it i see she is uncomfortable and i plainly see this is the good reason wherefore have you breakfasted ma'am mrs lamley settling into her defiant manner pushed her plate away looked at her husband and laughed but by no means gaily have you breakfasted sir inquired mr boffin thank you replied alfred showing all his teeth if mrs boffin will oblige me i'll take another cup of tea he spilled a little of it over the chest which ought to have been so effective and which had done so little but on the whole drank it with something of an air though the coming and going dints got almost as large the while as if they had been made by pressure of the teaspoon a thousand thanks he then observed i have breakfasted now which said mr boffin softly taking out a pocket-book which of you two is cashier sophronia my dear remarked her husband as he leaned back in his chair waving his right hand towards her while he hung his left hand by the thumb in the armhole of his waistcoat it shall be your department i would rather said mr boffin that it was your husband's ma'am because but never mind because i would rather have to do with him however what i have to say i will say with as little offence as possible if i can say it without any i shall be heartily glad you two have done me a service a very great service in doing what you did my old lady knows what it was and i have put into this envelope a bank-note for a hundred pound i consider the service well worth a hundred pound and i am well pleased to pay the money would you do me the favour to take it and likewise to accept my thanks with a haughty action and without looking towards him mrs lamley held out her left hand and into it mr boffin put the little packet when she had conveyed it to her bosom mr lamley had the appearance of feeling relieved and breathing more freely as not having been quite certain that the hundred pounds were his until the note had been safely transferred out of mr boffin's keeping into his own sophronia's it is not impossible said mr boffin addressing alfred that you have had some general idea sir of replacing rokesmith in course of time it is not assented alfred with a glittering smile and a great deal of nose not impossible and perhaps ma'am pursued mr boffin addressing sophronia you have been so kind as to take up my old lady in your own mind and to do her the honour of turning the question over whether you mightn't one of these days have her in charge like whether you mightn't be a sort of miss bella wilfer to her and something more i should hope returned mrs lamley with a scornful look and in a loud voice that if i were anything to your wife sir i could hardly fail to be something more than miss bella wilfer as you call her what do you call her ma'am asked mr boffin mrs lamley disdained to reply and sat defiantly beating one foot on the ground again i think i may say that's not impossible is it sir asked mr boffin turning to alfred it is not said alfred smiling assent as before not impossible now said mr boffin gently it won't do i don't wish to say a single word that might be afterwards remembered as unpleasant but it won't do sophronia my love her husband repeated in a bantering manner you hear it won't do no said mr boffin his voice still dropped it really won't you positively must excuse us if you'll go your way we'll go ours and so i hope this affair ends to the satisfaction of all parties mrs lamley gave him the look of a decidedly dissatisfied party demanding exemption from the category but said nothing the best thing we can make of the affair said mr boffin is a matter of business and as a matter of business it's brought to a conclusion 
you have done me a great service a very great service and i have paid for it is there any objection to the price mr and mrs lamley looked at one another across the table but neither could say that there was mr lamley shrugged his shoulders and mrs lamley sat rigid very good said mr boffin we hope my old lady and me that you'll give us credit for taking the plainest and honestest short-cut that could be taken under the circumstances we have talked it over with a deal of care my old lady and me and we have felt that at all to lead you on or even at all to let you go on of your own selves wouldn't be the right thing so i have openly given you to understand that mr boffin sought for a new turn of speech but could find none so expressive as his former one repeated in a confidential tone that it won't do if i could have put the case more pleasantly i would but i hope i haven't put it very unpleasantly at all events i haven't meant to so said mr boffin by way of peroration wishing you well in the way you go we now conclude with the observation that perhaps you'll go it mr lamley rose with an impudent laugh on his side of the table and mrs lamley rose with a disdainful frown on hers at this moment a hasty foot was heard on the staircase and georgiana podsnap broke into the room unannounced and in tears oh my dear sophronia cried georgiana wringing her hands as she ran up to embrace her to think that you and alfred should be ruined oh my poor dear sophronia to think that you should have a sale at your house after all your kindness to me oh mr and mrs boffin pray forgive me for this intrusion but you don't know how fond i was of sophronia when pa wouldn't let me go there any more or what i have felt for sophronia since i heard from ma for having been brought low in the world you don't you can't you never can think how i have lain awake at night and cried for my good sophronia my first and only friend mrs lamley's manner changed under the poor silly girl's embraces and she turned extremely pale directing one appealing look first to mrs boffin then to mr boffin both understood her instantly with a more delicate subtlety than much better educated people whose perception came less directly from the heart could have brought bear upon the case i haven't a minute said poor little georgiana to stay i am out shopping early with ma and i said i had a headache and got ma to leave me outside in the phaeton in piccadilly and ran round to sackville street and heard that sophronia was here and then ma came to see oh such a dreadful old stony woman from the country in a turban in portland place and i said i wouldn't go up with ma but would drive round and leave cards for the boffins which is taking a liberty with the name but oh my goodness i am distracted and the phaeton's at the door and what would pa say if he knew it don't ye be timid my dear said mrs boffin you came in to see us oh no i didn't cried georgiana it's very impolite i know but i came to see my poor sophronia my only friend oh how i felt the separation my dear sophronia before i knew you were brought low in the world and how much more i feel it now there were actually tears in the bold woman's eyes as the soft-headed and soft-hearted girl twined her arms about her neck but i've come on business said georgiana sobbing and drying her face and then searching in a little reticule and if i don't dispatch it i shall have come for nothing and oh good gracious what would pa say if he knew of sackville street and what would ma say if she was kept waiting on the doorsteps of that dreadful turban 
and there never were such pawing horses as ours unsettling my mind every moment more and more when i want more mind than i have got by pawing up mr boffin's street where they have no business to be oh where is where is it oh i can't find it all this time sobbing and searching in the little reticule what do you miss my dear asked mr boffin stepping forward oh it's little enough replied georgiana because ma always treats me as if i was in the nursery i am sure i wish i was but i hardly ever spend it and it has mounted up to fifteen pounds sophronia and i hope three five-pound notes are better than nothing though so little so little and now i have found that oh my goodness there's the other gone next oh no it isn't here it is with that always sobbing and searching in the reticule georgiana produced a necklace ma says chits and jewels have no business together pursued georgiana and that's the reason why i have no trinkets except this but i suppose my aunt hawkinson was of a different opinion because she left me this though i used to think she might just as well have buried it for it's always kept in jeweller's cotton however here it is i am thankful to say and of use at last and you'll sell it dear sophronia and buy things with it give it to me said mr boffin gently taking it i'll see that it's properly disposed of oh are you such a friend of sophronia's mr boffin cried georgiana oh how good of you oh my gracious there was something else and it's gone out of my head oh no it isn't i remember what it was my grandmamma's property that'll come to me when i am of age mr boffin will all be my own and neither pa nor ma nor anybody else will have any control over it and what i wish to do is to make some of it over somehow to sophronia and alfred by signing something somewhere that'll prevail on somebody to advance them something i want them to have something handsome to bring them up in the world again oh my goodness me being such a friend of my dear sophronia's you won't refuse me will you no no said mr boffin it shall be seen to oh thank you thank you cried georgiana if my maid had a little note and half a crown i could run round to the pastry cook's to sign something or i could sign something in the square if somebody would come and cough for me and let em in with the key and would bring a pen and ink with em and a bit of blotting paper oh my gracious i must tear myself away or pa and ma will both find out dear dear sophronia good good-bye the credulous little creature again embraced mrs lamley most affectionately and then held out her hand to mr lamley good-bye dear mr lamley i mean alfred you won't think after to-day that i have deserted you and sophronia because you have been brought low in the world will you oh me oh me i have been crying my eyes out of my head and ma will be sure to ask me what's the matter oh take me down somebody please 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 mr boffin took her down and saw her driven away with her poor little red eyes and weak chin peering over the great apron of the custard-coloured phaeton as if she had been ordered to expiate some childish misdemeanour by going to bed in the daylight and were peeping over the counterpane in a miserable flutter of repentance and low spirits returning to the breakfast-room he found mrs lamley still standing on her side of the table and mr lamley on his i'll take care said mr boffin showing the money and the necklace that these are soon given back mrs lamley had taken up her parasol from a side-table and stood sketching with it on the pattern of the damask cloth as she had sketched on the pattern of mr twemlow's papered wall you will not undeceive her i hope mr boffin she said turning her head toward him but not her eyes no said mr boffin i mean as to the worth and value of her friend mrs lamley explained in a measured voice and with an emphasis on her last word 
no he returned i may try to give a hint at her home that she is in want of a kind and careful protection but i shall say no more than that to her parents and i shall say nothing to the young lady herself mr and mrs boffin said mrs lamley still sketching and seeming to bestow great pains upon it there are not many people i think who under the circumstances would have been so considerate and sparing as you have been to me just now do you care to be thanked thanks are always worth having said mrs boffin in her ready good nature then thank you both sophronia asked her husband mockingly are you sentimental well well my good sir mr boffin interposed it's a very good thing to think well of another person and it's a very good thing to be thought well of by another person mrs lamley will be none the worse for it if she is much obliged but i asked mrs lamley if she was she stood sketching on the tablecloth with her face clouded and set and was silent because said alfred i am disposed to be sentimental myself on your appropriation of the jewels and the money mr boffin as our little georgiana said three five-pound notes are better than nothing and if you sell a necklace you can buy things with the produce if you sell it was mr boffin's comment as he put it in his pocket alfred followed it with his looks and also greedily pursued the notes until they vanished into mr boffin's waistcoat pocket then he directed a look half exasperated and half jeering at his wife she still stood sketching but as she sketched there was a struggle within her which found expression in the depth of the last lines of the parasol point indented into the tablecloth and then some tears fell from her eyes why confound the woman exclaimed lamley she is sentimental she walked to the window flinching under his angry stare looked out for a moment and turned round quite coldly you have had no former cause of complaint on the sentimental score alfred and you will have none in the future it is not worth your noticing we go abroad soon with the money we have earned here you know we do you know we must there is no fear of my taking any sentiment with me i should soon be eased of it if i did but it will be all left behind it is all left behind are you ready alfred what the deuce have i been waiting for but you sophronia let us go then i am sorry i have delayed our dignified departure she passed out and he followed her mr and mrs boffin had the curiosity softly to raise a window and look after them as they went down the long street they walked arm in arm showily enough but without appearing to interchange a syllable it might have been fanciful to suppose that under their outer bearing there was something of the shamed air of two cheats who were linked together by concealed handcuffs but not so to suppose that they were haggardly weary of one another of themselves and of all this world in turning the street corner they might have turned out of this world for anything mr and mrs boffin ever saw of them to the contrary for they set eyes on the lamleys nevermore End of section 52 of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com